It's April 24th, 2023. This is Rook. Welcome to episode 258 of Rook. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from Los Angeles, California, United States of America. Salam, Dustan Aziz, Durud Basham. I hope you're doing well wherever you're tuning in from around the world. We are on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. So I'm in LA for, for a few days, which is... Uh, why my voice sounds a little different. I'm not in the Rook studio. Back for Thursday's show. Uh, but in the meantime, a feature interview today with a special guest who joined me in the Rook studio a few days ago. A talented songwriter, a rapper, a producer, a recording artist, an activist who is considered one of the pioneers of Persian hip-hop. Erfan Paidar joins me. Now, you may know that Erfan has actually been on the show before, but never in the Rook studio in Toronto. And this is part of a new series on Mondays of programming that features one big interview. Um, on Thursdays, it's our regular show with opening essay, Pega and others joining me for the roundup and two or more interviewees. But on this day, this focuses on one person in the Rook seat. And today it is Air Fawn. And uh, it's important for me to mention that this interview was done a few days ago, before the weekend, because it is a wide-ranging conversation that includes discussion of the dysfunction and growing disunity among Iranian opposition factions in the diaspora, all opposed to the regime, of course, in Iran, but seemingly unable to get along. Uh, I asked Arafan quite a bit about this to get his thoughts, but I should note that this was recorded before the relatively seismic news, at least for those steeped in Iranian diaspora dialogues these days, of Hamid Ismailiun leaving the coalition of opposition leaders and the resulting debates that have occurred among different groups supporting, say, Reza Pahlavi or Hamed or others. So if you're wondering why I don't ask Erfan specifically about Hamed's decision and the manifestations of that, it's because it hadn't happened at the time of this recording. That said... Erfan is as eloquent and erudite as ever in perspective. He brings as someone who grew up both inside and outside of Iran and as someone who has been on the front lines of representing during the uprising of the last seven or eight months. You want to hear his declaration at the end of this interview. It is truly powerful and passionate stuff. I'm grateful to Erfan for coming into the Rook studio. Uh, we'll get to the interview in just a second. We are coming to you on rookmedia.com. It is there that you can link to all of our platforms. We, of course, are on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, and CastBox. If you want to see some visuals with, with Rook, uh, switch over to YouTube right now. This Airphone interview is posted in its entirety on video right now on YouTube. If you want to watch it, watch what you're listening to. You can also find it on our Instagram channel, um, at Rook Media. And if you like your descriptions and bulletins in English and Persian, check us out on Telegram. Remember to support Rook 
you just go to our website, rookmedia.com, R-O-Q-E media.com, and press the support us button where you can become a Rook member on Patreon uh, for a few bucks a month, uh, the price of a coffee each month. Um, you can help support what we do at Rook and our mission. And certainly if you're a regular audience member, we would love you to become a Rook member and you get some special added bonuses uh, if you become a Rook member on Patreon. So let's get to the interview. This was done a few days ago in the Rook studio. Um, this is an interview with Erfan Pydar. All right. My feature guest today is an Iranian-American rapper, songwriter, producer, podcaster, and the founder of the Pydar label. Take a listen to this. There you go. A little taste of a brand new song called Beyade, or In Memory Of, by my feature guest today, in the Rook studio, Erfan Paydar. Erfan, as you may know, is one of the pioneers of Persian hip-hop and rap music. He was doing it when not so many were, mixing his experiences of growing up in America and Iran, and releasing six full albums so far, as well as dozens of singles. He's collaborated with artists from all, all across the spectrum of genres, like uh, from Hamid Dikpay to Farmaz Aslani to Sogan, just to name a few. Erfan has never been shy about expressing his views on political and social issues through his music. He's been outspoken about Iran since the Green Movement in 2009. And during the current uprising, Erfan has been using his platform to echo voices from inside the country and has actually been active organizing protests, speaking out, playing a leading role. He's been in Canada for concerts in Toronto and Montreal with his fellow artist G-Doll in the last couple of weeks and right now. Erfan joins me in the Rook studio. Hello, sir. Hello. Thanks for having me. We finally made it happen. We had a few <laughs> back and forths and, you know, finally. Well, we've, we've done this. It's, we've done a lot of zooming, but exactly. it's nice to actually have you here in, in the flesh. It's different. I always say you never get the same vibe and same connection it's on so Zoom true. as you would It's so person, true. So, yeah. Although you're still wearing your shades. <laughs> so it's hard for me to engage with you with the deep eye contact. Yeah, one sunny day in uh, Toronto. I, I thought I should use <laughs> my shades right. on the That's one day right. that I can. <laughs> Glorious sunny Toronto. So yeah. this song you just dropped. Uh, we just played a little, a little of uh, Beyode. Uh, tell us about what the inspiration for mm. this was. The inspiration, actually, I was at my buddy Danny Asadi's house one night. And um, when I was driving home, I got this beat from a new producer. And I was just thinking about Iran. And uh, let me give a quick background. A lot of people might not know this, but I have a very unique case growing up preschool elementary school, junior high school, and high school. All four, I was in Iran, and I was in the United States. Right. So back and forth like a ping pong my whole life. Right. So I got a full taste of the Iranian culture, 
play with the toys that the kids did there. Same thing with America. Same cartoons there. Cartoons in America. So, um, even though I lived a big part of my life outside of Iran, because of the way and the the, the, the I lived in Iran at an age where you know your personality takes place and you have all your good memories and everything. Mm -hmm. So, even though I would recognize the contrast of how things are here and in Iran, as far as freedom and just in school being mixed, like the gender apartheid in Iran. Um, living in America really made me see it clearly what they don't have there. You know, mm -hmm. I always say sometimes people in Iran, they know they want freedom, but a lot of people, the majority, they've never experienced it. So mm -hmm. they don't even know what they want. They just know this isn't it, you know. But us, as people who lived in the free world, we know what it's like to live in a free society for the most part. Um, so I was just thinking about this stuff and all my good memories of my childhood, all the nostalgic moments started coming to me and I just, you know, kind mm. of wrote the whole song on the way home, finished it the next day. And I wanted to put a package, all of my childhood in one song. And I guess it resonates with everybody because everybody grew up in the same yeah. country and had the same experiences. Yeah. Watched the same Not all shows. positive experiences. No, exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, the, it's, a, it's a mix. It's a blend. Yeah. Although, so first of all, you're so right about this. I mean, we're all hybrids. You know, anybody in the Iranian diaspora has some kind of mixed up, fucked up kind yeah. of like a, who am I um, existential crisis throughout their life. Mm -hmm. uh, but you do have a, a unique case where you can literally empathize with a kid who grew up in America and a kid who grew up in Iran under the Islamic Republic because exactly. you've actually experienced both. One of the things that that you said about this song in your little Instagram post about it a few days ago when you posted the song was you said I wanted I wanted people to realize or or, or some of my memories are that we we were happy even though we knew we weren't living in the best circumstances or something like that. Can you speak to that? Because that's an interesting juxtaposition that I think Iranians, especially those in Iran who are listening right now, face all the time. You know, the reality is this country that, you know, we keep talking about all the problems with, mm -hmm. but but you can't just go through your life being miserable. So you exactly. have to find the happiness. Talk to me about that. Yeah, the Iranian people, we always find a way to have a good time in some ways a lot of times you know we were I, I, me and Jidal were watching old videos of Iran from the 80s and I'm like damn it was tough times the war was going on there was nothing and I remember sometimes even with food and stuff that coupon by coupon dashi so you could go like buy chicken and stuff like I, I remember that stuff when I was from when I was five or six and but we had a good time because life was. See, more I don't simple. even know what that is. Yeah, you had to get a coupon to buy chicken. What does that mean? They, they call it coupon to Iran, so uh -huh. it's not like take. Basically, you have to have like a. It was government subsidized food because there were shortages. Uh -huh. So if you wanted to buy chicken or wanted about flour or rice, oftentimes there'd be long lines, and then uh, so we get a coupon. Where do you get the coupon? I don't remember. I just remember it existed. I was too young to remember. <laughs> right, but right. some from government, uh, right, some, some right. government. Entity. It's rationed, basically. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, per each family gets to right, get this right. much and stuff like that. So, um, but either way, it was it was more simple times, and we had fun. Especially when you're a kid, you don't have to be living in the worst, uh, like even living in Iran, mm. until you get to an age and you realize what's really going on, and you have to deal with you know government entities, or you have to deal with like getting a job, mm -hmm. having a family, you know, and having high expenses, things are still good, you know? And 
as you grow up and you, you go through adolescence and you start becoming an adult, that's when you realize how fucked up things really are, how difficult it is. And um, so I knew that just bringing up those memories, those nostalgic mm-hmm. moments, people are going to remember how our childhood was, was a more simple time. And we had, you know, it's interesting. Again, that juxtaposition of the happiness in an unhappy place or uh, however you want to state it, it's something that has some somewhat come up in the last seven months Mm -hmm. you know especially at the peak let's say peak uprising you know at least for now which was say october november there was a lot of talk as you know in the diaspora of like we shouldn't be playing concerts we shouldn't be Mm -hmm. celebrating we shouldn't you know you didn't even want to take photos smiling it felt uncomfortable but a few people i thought quite poignantly made the point that's not the case in Iran. If they want to party in Iran, if they want to, you know, because you're inside the the womb of all of that that's happening, and if you need to find an escape to go to a, a party, good for you. Whereas in the West, we have a different responsibility, you know. That's right. Uh, posting pictures, of, I'm at a gala. You know, we already live in a place that's materially and socially freer and bigger and better and all of that so does that resonate for you does that make sense yeah definitely and people tell me that sometimes oh you guys are on the other side of the world uh what are you talking about you living you know having your living free and then all people here don't even care they're partying but it's not these things they're not so black and white yeah maybe a lot of people are and a lot of people aren't you know and even if the majority of people are that doesn't take the responsibility off of our shoulders because we can protest here pretty much with no fear, not being worried about anything and being their voice because we know they can't because mm. we saw that how many people got arrested. We saw how many people got killed. Some people, how many people lost, uh, you know, they were shot in the eyes all over the bodies. So that doesn't take away from our responsibility to continue. The first time you were on the show three years ago, um, one of the things you said was you, you said one of your missions was to speak to and for the youth of Iran. And, and at that point, you were talking about how you were uh, you were worried that this is pre pre uprising. If anybody wants Airfon's credentials, you cared about the youth before the last seven months. But but you you worried that the youth of Iran could be too passive these days, too inactive. You said at the time, mm-hmm. um, it was almost like you know nihilism we've heard about with the youth of, of Iran. I'm guessing you've been inspired by young people in Iran in recent months. Absolutely, absolutely, because. I remember when we were at the age of when we were their age, like, I don't know, 10, 12. Like I said, when you're younger, even if it's not Iran, let's say Kenya in, in Africa or like in the favelas of Brazil, when you, you're, you, you have fun, you play. Right. You play with the ball. You don't have a ball, you play with a stick. You have a good time. As you start realizing what's going on around you, I remember living in Iran. We were so scared to say anything, to speak up at that time. It was, it was really scary for us to like, you know, uh, put Khamenei's picture on fire or something like that. That didn't exist at our time. Of Take course, off your hijab. Of we would get in trouble for wearing short sleeves, uh, shirts, t-shirts. Anyways, so to see the level of bravery of these kids in the street, especially at that age, I get it because you just have this ideals in mind. And again, you don't have a family. You could, you, you could, you're more, uh, you take more risks because um, you have less to lose at that age. You know? So seeing that, I knew a lot of them would get in trouble. I knew a lot of them would get in, uh, you know, jailed, killed, tortured. 
So I thought the best thing to do is just everybody needs to gather and everybody needs to participate, mm. whether inside or outside of Iran. But um, well, but I mean, yeah, th- I that's I mean, you've been at the forefront of I don't know what you want to call it, revolutionary activism in the diaspora, um, not just through your music, but as I mentioned in the introduction, taking part in organizing demonstrations, speaking at them, posting political statements. How has that felt for you? It felt like the right thing to do, but I'd be lying if I didn't say recently because things have calmed down. At the same time, I really do think there's so much you can do if the people of Iran themselves aren't being active, you know. Um, So whether it's about the people that I've supported, sometimes I do get guilt trips. I'm like, shit, it's been three days. I haven't posted anything about Iran. Or it's been a week. I haven't thought about this and this person who's, who's in jail. And I promise myself that I'm going to support them until the end. But don't even so, go there yet. I'll come back to okay. that. I'll come back to the, you know, how you can manage this over time. But even just before we get to that, even uh-huh. just being the guy who's organizing an LA protest and speaking at it and really stepping out of being Airfon the musician mm-hmm. to being some kind of, um, I don't know, cultural social statesman. You know, mm-hmm. what what did that? Fe- what has that felt like? It felt like. I'm stepping in the shoes that I've been wanting to for a long time because like you said, I've been active with my music and on social media about the political stuff in Iran for about 20 years now, from the beginning of when I started my music. Mm. So seeing the people out there and the crowds, it made me feel like, because before it, I felt like, what am I doing? Am I just yelling in the wind? Am Am I having any effect? So when I saw that people are doing something, I'm like, no, I was right. This means something. And mm-hmm. I have to step in the shoes and I have to step it up, you know, and take it beyond just the music and just putting out songs. You could only put so many songs out and that could have only so much effect. There's other things that I can get involved with. So I just felt like the right thing and felt, the res- you know, I'm responsible And for you're it. comfortable in that position. You don't feel like you don't have an imposter syndrome or something of who am I? Am I a political leader? What am I doing here? What am I? The part that I guess I'd be uncomfortable with is saying something or siding with someone that I'm going to regret later. Mm. Because sometimes time is of the essence and you feel like I have to do something now. But then you're like, is it the right move? You know, because I've always tried to be someone who doesn't take any side other than the side of the people. So it's a big risk for me to all of a sudden, and people trust that. People know that about me, the people who follow me and trust me. They Although know that taking the side against the regime is not really that risky. Yet. No, no, not against point. the regime. Yeah, yeah. 100% against the regime, right, right, but I'm right. saying other opposition right. sides. I want to get to that, because yeah, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting thing that you've navigated. I don't yeah. know how you do it. Uh, but just before we leave the, the organizing demonstrations and stuff, I mean, you've been, notwithstanding your your hybrid childhood and all that, you've been a California kid for a long mm-hmm. time. And famously, there's a lot of Iranians in Southern California, but they've never particularly been all playing ball with each other. Yeah. What was, say, that big rally that we saw in Los Angeles that you were part of organizing that Shahzadeh's upcoming mm-hmm. to and all of that? What was that just like for you as a as a California kid? The experience of being there yeah. in general, it was experience good. experience of seeing see. it. I know in Toronto, for mm-hmm. me, as an Iranian in Toronto, there was a moment back in October when we were walking down Yonge Street, I've talked about it on the show before, where I've never felt 
more comfortable or more proud, you know, where I was like, wow, I never even imagined this was ever going to be possible that we could be walking down the main street of Toronto downtown saying we're Iranian in the thousands and having people clap for it. You know, I mean, it just, it was surreal, right? I'm wondering if you experienced something like that. It felt so special because I, I, I made a point of, I, all of the protests that asked me to speak and most of them, uh, I wouldn't do it because I wanted to walk among the people, and I was I, I was worried about I don't, I'm like I don't want to. Everybody gets caught up in their ego and the hype and you know photos and getting put here and there. I didn't want that. I wanted to be with the people. I just wanted to walk and feel like a normal person, you mm-hmm. know, over there, carry the flag. So that was really important to me. And about the, also, I was very proud of the crowds. It felt special that everybody's here. You know, they have shit to do. They have their regular lives. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have no connection to Iran. They've never been to Iran. Mm. They don't know what it's like living in that country. But they're here just because they have Iranian blood. Um, and at the same time, at times, I'm, I was thinking, LA has so many Iranians. I think over 500,000. You know, So the yeah. crowds should be bigger. Yeah. LA should have been the biggest crowd. Should have been bigger than Berlin. But it wasn't. So it's a mixed feeling. I was proud and at the same time I was disappointed at times. I can't think of anyone, Erfan, who that has been... Um, more outspoken about the situation of Tumaj Salahi. The, the, this is the Iranian rapper who's mm-hmm. been in solitary confinement for, for months now. Um, I can't think of anyone who's been more outspoken than you. He, he He's a musician and a, and a rapper like you, of course. But why has that case been so resonant for you? Why, mm-hmm. why have you picked that up so, um, and, you know, uh, with, with so much energy? As you were asking the question, three things popped into my head immediately. First thing, um, him being a rapper, and I'm a rapper, so there's a connection right there, and the fact that I sometimes explain this to American hip-hop artists. I'm like, rap is illegal in Iran. And they're like, what do you mean it's illegal? A genre of music is illegal? I'm like, I know it sounds crazy. And I realize how crazy it sounds as I'm saying it to you, because to us it's normal. (laughs) You know, we're just used to it. Um, so for him to get in trouble, no, no, two badass American hip hop artists. Yeah, you know, think about how badass you have to be in in, in a country where mm-hmm. even the genre of what you're doing is not, yeah, yeah. is not legal. That's right? the real gangster shit to yeah, me. Yeah. You know, like too much is the real gangster shit to me. Like it's not, you know what I mean? Like, so one time that side of being a rapper, the other part is how brave he was and just seeing him, how active he was, being in the street, showing his face, and not stopping, and. The third thing was that I started, I didn't know too much until maybe a couple of months before his arrest. And I, I was pretty much talking to him every day or every other day on Instagram before he got arrested. Mm. And this kid knew. He didn't give a fuck. You said he this, your, one of your first posts about yeah. him after he was arrested. It was very, it actually made me cry because you were, you were rattled and you were saying he knew this was going to happen, mm. but he kept on going. Yeah. And he wasn't just talking on the internet. He was out there, you know, in, in putting himself on the yeah. line physically, right? He was changing locations all the time. And this is someone who's so deep in it, right? He's not just regular, someone who's activist. He's deep in it. He knows what they do to people who get arrested. He knows what happens to political prisoners. But he was out there in the street sending his posts. And he said, no matter what happens to me, keep going. And if that's not inspiring, I don't know what is. So... Um, when he got arrested and I was connected to some people who know him and, 
know knew what he's going through. He's still in solitary confinement. I think it's been almost 180 days now, 177 how, days. How do we know that? I'm not doubting it, but how do we know what where he is or what to, in what condition he's in in prison? I talk to people, his family members, um, and obviously his father knows. They know he's in solitary. Okay. And they know there's issues with his eyes, with his foot. and with Are they able to communicate with him? Um, there have been visits. Uh, my information is limited and also I just I don't want to say something that, right, I mean, that could come out wrong yeah. you know but yes yeah. um, but then he's been in solitary he needs medical attention that he's not getting and that's the situation and what I was talking about earlier is kind of about too much sometimes it's two three days four days goes by and I haven't thought because I promised myself I promised myself a few months ago I said there are a lot of people that are in jail right now and if I focus on one person i could probably do the most you know mm. i can't put a thousand posts about different people right you know so if right. I, I should i'm going to focus on too much on this hundredth day of his arrest that's what i was thinking i'm going to do everything that i can for him just just the word out update people and but i do i i, I get guilt i get a guilty feeling i'm telling you sometimes a few days goes by and i'm like i haven't done anything for too much i haven't said anything i haven't checked up on him i haven't asked about him what the fuck? you said you're going to be there you know and then kind of falls back into place and uh it's a strange situation i don't know what you think about it but things get normalized no matter how hard yeah. you try yeah. things get normalized listen go, i was yeah we were talking to the team on the show a couple of days ago that imagine where the situation in iran has gotten to mm. that the open and shameless poisoning of schoolgirls by the state is normalized mm. Like that is so dark mm -hmm. and twisted that, you know, it, it is such a, a measure of how badly Iranians have been beaten up in the last yeah. four decades that they go, oh, you know, this is what these mullahs do. And, you know, you just, are you yeah. kidding me? This is like, and they're not even, you know, I mean, it's shamelessly like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to yeah. poison schoolgirls mm -hmm. for fear that they're going to be on the front lines of, of coming after us. I mean, it's, it is, it's madness. It's, mm -hmm. it's so dystopian that you almost wouldn't believe it if Margaret Atwood wrote it or somebody, yeah. you know, you'd go, well, this is a bit of a stretch. You yeah, know? yeah. It's crazy. And all of that is normalized. And, you know, Tumaj being normalized, all of that after a while, um, that's part of the problem of where we're at, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's sort of like people going, well, yeah, this is the way it is. I mean, what can you, there's what only, you you how can you live that. in outrage 24 seven, et cetera. Did the Tumaj, I thought about you and I thought about him and I think, you know, I mean, there's so many scenarios here, say with Masa Amini her, herself or, or um, some of the young women in the beginning who were getting killed and you would hear uh, a young woman, like say one of our team members go, that could have been me. You know, I would have been out there in, yeah. in the street with no hijab or something. Do, do you, do you feel that way about Tumaj as a rapper? I mean, this could have absolutely. been me. If I, absolutely. Tumaj, another thing he... I was born in Esfahan and too much. Uh, he's Bakhtiari, but he was he lived in Esfahan. He's from Esfahan, so absolutely that could have been me. You know. Do you feel? It's not fair for you to feel this way, but do you feel almost guilty that it isn't you, that you're here in a studio in Toronto and? No, I don't. I honestly, I feel like it's a blessing that I'm in a position that I could say what I want to say and not get arrested, not get tortured. So that 
in turn pushes me to, okay, you have a responsibility. You have to keep going, you know. I want to talk about unity and, and disunity. And, mm-hmm. and, and one of the the proudest moments of unity I felt is not disconnected from mm-hmm. too much. It's a weird one. Like it's like you'd think I'd be feeling the most uh, sense of unity when there's a rally or something like that. It was, if you remember, and obviously you would, there was this forced confession video. Mm. Too much confessing. And for a split second, that was on the internet. And then everybody said, don't share this. Don't share it. It's bullshit. Don't give it oxygen. Don't put it out there. And no one did. Everybody, Everybody was in line going, I mean, you can't even find it on the internet. That was the most amazing moment for me mm. in terms of unity. How you get the, the Iranian diaspora to all agree to not share, you know, sensational shit gets shared all the, that's yeah. the, that's what the internet is, right? It's a, if it bleeds, it leads, all of that. Yeah. You know. That was an amazing moment, I thought. It was. It was. I remember waking up that morning. I saw that. Did you have a question, following up question, or just sharing? That? Thank you for asking yeah. whether there's a question. No, I just wanted to share that and see see if you had the same sort of feeling about that. I, I mean, you were probably one of the people saying, "Don't share this." I don't, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, it was. About I was. There was a certain sense of pride that that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And even there was question if that was him in the video or not. And some people who were close to him were asking me because his tattoo was different, his hair was different, he looked skinnier. Um, so I shared that on Twitter and now I believe that was wrong. My tweet was wrong. It was him. But, um, I think that was beautiful that people cared that much. And then it's not just that the amount of comments and hashtags you would see, don't share this. People were so active Mm. and that, like you said, that feeling of unity that really we all felt as one in Iran, in America, in Europe, in Canada, everybody was so involved, Mm. you know? And it's kind of sad to see that fire kind of hasn't died out, but you know. Well, uh, let it, me let me get to. By the way, I was, yeah, I was yeah. smiling because I loved. I could tell you're a, a smart guy and b uh, a, somebody who's done interviews. When you say, "Was there a question?" or <laughs> <laughs> call me out on it. It's so great because so much of what I get so frustrated watching so many quote unquote interviews these days, where somebody just makes a statement and expects the person to talk. You know, yeah, yeah. And I, I want to make sure I'm not rambling before. <laughs> I had a moment like that long ago. Uh, I was interviewing. There's a famous actor named Christopher Plummer. He died mm. last. Oh. He's a Canadian icon, and I was interviewing him, and I was kind of nervous, and I said something like, uh, um, playing this role, or King Lear, playing King Lear, it's such an incredible uh, uh, responsibility, or something like that. And And there was this pause, and he said, after a while, he said, I'm still here. I haven't heard the question yet. <laughs> I was just shamed. You know, yeah. I was like this young interviewer. Fuck. That's so you know, Christopher Flubber hates me. Uh, um, okay. So speaking of that question was about unity. I wanted to turn it around mm-hmm. on the other hand and talk about the disunity. Because Erfan, after some really hopeful uh, moments of... Um, seeming like a large coalition of or group of so-called opposition figures, mm-hmm. leaders were coming together in harmony, representing Iranians from outside Iran. Um, th- there seems to be uh, a devolving uh, episode of this this unity, and it's bickering, and it's different camps attacking each other. Uh, first of all, what do you make of this whole situation of the so-called opposition leaders and and people screaming at each other and saying, you know, you shouldn't be part of the coalition, you should, he shouldn't be invited. Well, who are we representing? That guy's a mojahed. We don't want a yeah. king. All of this. 
Well, I guess it'd be a bit of uh, Monday morning quarterbacking, but I, I I wish first of all they would have gone together a lot sooner. Um, and I wish they could have put a better plan together that would rally everybody behind them. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I I don't think everybody rushed to kind of support the coalition. Um, can you uh, repeat your question? My question is, it's. I almost don't want to say it out loud because mm. I, I feel horrible saying it, but it, it seems like it's fallen apart to a certain mm. extent. That sense of unity, at least, of getting yeah. these figures together. I, I agree that moment existed a few months, you know, maybe That's, three or four months I ago. Guess. Now it seems like I don't even know what's going on. I mean, exactly. maybe we should just tell one person, you go and become our transition leader or something like that. I don't know what all this jockeying is about. It right. It's a disincentive to even go on the internet and, and see people arguing with each other and calling out e each other as yeah. uh, who's worse than the other and all of that. So yeah. I wanted to get, I mean, you're kind of, you know, uh, you're not just an observer, you're sort of in the thick of things as well to a certain extent as one of the voices. Mm. And I wanna get your feeling about all of that. Okay, so I did un understand your question correctly. And what I meant to say is that time is always of the essence with these things. And um, I wish they would have gone together sooner. Um, and right now it's sad to see, I even put a video three, four months ago saying that these people are still in, they're still in prison. They're still getting tortured. Shit's still fucked up. And you guys are arguing about vekalat midam, nemidam, in this, that, you know, come together. And um, and I see the interviews now coming up from the different opposition leaders. I see they go on this channel, that channel. And to be quite frank, I just don't think it's effective. I don't, I don't feel like it's doing much. You know, if, if something needs to happen, it has to, things have to get reignited inside of Iran. Now, Parallel to that, they should absolutely keep planning, keep doing what they're doing, mm -hmm. the opposition leaders, mm -hmm. right? So the next time the spark happens, they're ready. Mm -hmm. And they could take the position of leadership that they mm -hmm. needed because they needed a leader or a leadership coalition, mm -hmm. whatever you might call it. But they need a sense of direction, I, I should say. That's not a leader. Okay, we're out in the streets. What's next? What's going to happen? What do we do next? Where do we go from this? Mm -hmm. Someone needs to help them out, you know? Well. I don't know if, um, I'm not one for conspiracy theories, mm. but we had more unity when there was more going on in Iran. It wasn't just more going on in terms of rallies and all of that, which we know have been crushed brutally, mm. et cetera. But frankly, there was more going on in terms of the brutality of the regime. Mm. It's much more tactical now, right? It's yeah. get somebody who hasn't been in the news for a month and, and and put them in prison. It's take somebody who you'd already you know detained and now give them a seven year a, a term. Mm -hmm. It's uh, um, weirdly and sort of um, um, inexplicably poisoning young people. It's when executions were happening, there was a rallying point. You know, everybody, everybody's mm. this guy just got executed, and everybody's kind of on the same page, and and these opposition leaders and stuff wouldn't have the the gumption to attack each other. I mean, there's mm. a focus. I almost wonder if the regime figured that out, Yeah, you know? And and it's like, let's find less sensational ways of uh, attacking the people of Iran mm. and give them time to just fight against each other instead of yes. focusing on what's happening inside the country. Yeah, I believe, and I'm, I, I, I like to think I'm a realist and 
I think you have to know your enemy to beat it and keep it real with yourself. I think they outsmarted it this side with their strategies. Whether it's with international connections, with we did with China, yeah. now with the Sa Saudi Arabia, that was a big blow. Where did that yeah. come from? Yeah. Right. So it's a huge blow. Yes. It's a huge blow. I, I don't think we talked about that enough. I mean, I don't even see mm -hmm. Russia, China, Saudi Arabia. Iran doesn't need the West after yeah. a certain point, right? Exactly. It's, it turned east and they figured that, that out. Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying. Yeah. As and far the, as strategy, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, 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 you go ahead. As far as strategy, they, they were playing chess. They were playing checkers here. The strategy-wise. But also, the, the ball is in their court. They have the country in hand. They have the resources. They have the power. They have the army, everything, right? Um, but strategy-wise... I think they did better. And they, they everything that they, they'd realized they're getting international heat for, they kind of nipped it in the butt. They changed it a little bit. But at the same time, like you said, this poisoning stuff. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have a bully in school mm -hmm. that slaps you every day, right? And you stand up to him like, stop this. Next day he comes, slaps you, and he kicks you. You're like, well, I'm just happy with you just slapping me every day. Right. You know, so that's what the government in Iran does. You know, they put the pressure on, they do it, they're like, fuck it, like, okay. At least we weren't in prison. At least we weren't getting killed. Let's just go back to whatever it was. You know, and the people are like, shit, we have a job, I have kids, yeah. I have stuff to do. You know. I mean, when it comes to the opposition leaders, um, one thing that is kind of amazing about you, this is, I, I said I want to come back to this, is I don't, I don't remember you ever sort of endorsing mm -hmm. anyone. I, I, I've, I've seen you with different, you know, you've done a live with one person and I've seen you with another and whatever. I, I, that's obviously that's intentional, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you. Yeah, you, it's intentional. It's intentional, and from the beginning of when I started doing political songs or talking, like you know, in the past fifteen years, I'm on the side of the people. I want to be an echo of their voices, just so they know, because I want to have that trust with my people. You know what I mean? Um, even though I've talked to Massey, I've talked to Shahzada. Uh, I've talked to different people and I have respect for them all, you know, separately on their own and what they do. Mm -hmm. I think they all have done a lot in their own way um, for the movement. But for me to kind of put all my chips on one person, they, no one gave me enough for me to feel like comfortable enough to do that. Mm. Now I have to talk about it more. Uh, I do believe Shahzada to be a good man and I do think he probably has the good intentions for Iran. Mm -hmm. And I just like to see what, what the next step is. Have, the have they approached you, uh, say Shahzad, and said, hey, can you um, come on our team and uh, you know say something publicly? Or No, we, I've done some uh, Zooms talking about sharing ideas, asking questions, and also giving ideas what can be done in the artist community, in the you know activist community in general. Um, I was at Nufti. I went to that event. Mm -hmm. um, so I support him in the sense that I, I think his heart is in the right place. And I do believe him to be a good man. Um, and I 100% believe that his father and grandfather did a lot for Iran. Well, if you're not aligned, then maybe you have some, what is your insight into 
I mean, you know, you, you, you said these, co these people need to come together uh, and, you know, um, come up with an agenda. Come up with, they can't even come together, you know. Yeah. And, and it's not necessarily the people, as you know. It's, it's, it's also their followers sometimes sure. that can be a little more Absolutely. enthusiastic than the people themselves, yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, I mean, w what is your insight into why that's happening and, and whether there's any way around this? Because, mm. because otherwise this we're going to implode before we can actually help the people inside Iran, mm -hmm. right? Well, a big part of it is, Farsi, they say, So sometimes some of Shahzada's followers, when the coalition happened or certain moves happened, they start losing their minds, right? They got so angry with him and, you know, it's... People are so rigid. It, it all goes back to this in my mind. It's not just so his followers. Rigid. Then you got other people yeah, saying, exactly, no. I'll never be with the Pahlavis. And yeah. you got somebody saying, this guy's a Mujahid. And, you know, I mean, it, yeah. it's... I think as, as people in general, human beings, we have this tribal thing inside us that we feel like we have to belong to a specific tribe, defined. I think that gives people comfort, mm. you know. Man Saltanatiam. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. People can't like... And I've never been a part of that either. I can't say I'm my I'm Democrat about everything or I'm Republican. There's things you pick and choose, you know. But I think people are tribal and they like that comfort of feeling I belong to a group. Mm -hmm. I belong to something. This is what we believe, and I'm going to mm -hmm. fight for it. And and also people are afraid of re, uh, like admitting to if they were wrong about something, you know. You know, I've been fighting for something for five, ten years. This is me. You know, I don't right. want to go back right. and feel stupid right. about myself. So I think right. that's a part of it too. I. You know, let me try something out on you. I think maybe, uh, especially given um, the diversity of Iranian opinions mm -hmm. and and the historical enmities between different opposition people, et cetera, I think maybe it's it's maybe it is too ambitious for a bunch of people to come together and have a detailed program. You know, um, maybe in the same way as you you said, well, I can't represent everybody. I can't speak to everybody, so I'm going to pick Tumaj, but Tumaj is a symbol mm -hmm. of, of a lot more. And that, that does have its downside because I think there's people who could legitimately say, well, what about all the other people who've been in jail for longer or whatever, you know? Yeah. But, but what I, I almost feel like if the opposition leaders, if those of us in the diaspora could focus on one thing at a time, one, one big thing, like putting the IRGC on the terrorist list, for example, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's a lot of people who make a very compelling case to say th the IRGC being put on the terrorist list and enforced by the EU, by Canada, by the US, etc., would cut off a lot of the, the revenue that's coming into Iran and would strangle the regime, right? That's why so many mm -hmm. people have been arguing for it for that guy at a hunger strike in, in London right now, Vahid Beheshti, you know, mm -hmm. that that's what this is all about, right? If the UK and the EU, and it occurs to me that putting the IRGC on the terrorist list really has nothing to do with the people inside Iran. Like, there's nothing some young woman in Tabriz can do today to put the IRGC on the terrorist list in, in yeah. UK. It's on us, mm. right? It's on us in the diaspora to be able to... I feel like, you know, that's something that we should be trying to accomplish rather than debating who is going to be the foreign minister yeah yeah <laughs> or, or like you know it just seems so it seems so counterintuitive at yeah. this point i mean maybe i felt differently a few months ago i don't know maybe i thought oh yeah good let's come up with a whole plan what's going to be the economic policy etc yeah. but that seems so 
pie in the sky right now. It's like maybe we should just get to the point where that we can, you know, create change in Iran first mm-hmm. or help the people in Iran. Right? Absolutely. I'm going to use the analogy of someone who's racist or when they say two countries don't like each other and then they get together and they realize 95% of everything that we do is the same and we've been focusing on that 5%. So it's the same thing with the opposition. 95% of the things that they want is the same. We want this regime gone. We want freedom. And now, not to say sometimes those that 5% could be very key important things that can have a big effect on the country. Right. But let's get it together and then you speak and the people will vote. Right. You know, that's, right. That's, that's what I think. Right. Yeah. Are you disheartened by where things are at? I don't want to say it. <laughs> I don't want to say it. Uh, I go through, it's, it's, it comes in waves, you know. Sometimes, like when the Saudi thing happened, that was very disheartening, you know, for example. Because I just, not, not because their relationship's good, but it got better. It was because I feel like it's going to have a big effect on the movement. And it did. Um, but it comes in waves, you know, sometimes. I'll put it this way. I get my energy, a lot of it, from the inside people of, inside Iran. Yeah, I'm still going to do my statements. I'm going to do my work. But that real feeling comes from inside of Iran, for me. Tell me about what your your personal governing philosophy is now in terms of how you're going to balance your time like we've got to the point where we know we know you have to have some sort of resumption of normal life quote unquote you know Uh, i see you posting pictures with your your girlfriend and like this is okay i'm i'm home life etc it's not revolution 24 7 it can't be Mm -hmm. nobody can sustain that for you know you have to have that balance to stay strong to bring your you know your your revolutionary chops when it's needed but yeah but how are you um Quite frankly, it seems to me with some folks, they just turn off the tap all of a sudden. It's mm-hmm. like a, they went from like being, I don't know, you know, the revolution of Che Guevara to now she's <laughs> just like, you know, posting pictures of here's my new top and I'm going to. The, and it's kind of like, well, what, what happened? How are we? Is there a balance? Is there some kind of in between? How do you sort of manage that? Um, I've I've given this a lot of thought. And. I decided I'm going to do my regular life, which is my music side, which is everybody has something, right? That's, that's, that's how I breathe. That's what I love in my life. Mm-hmm. I can't put it to the side, mm-hmm. right? And I can't just make political songs because that's fake to do that once. And um, you're going to run out of things to say. I've got multiple offers from different artists to do more political songs. And I said I would love to, and I will, but it has to be something different. I put four out, four or five out in this past past year. And you pull ideas out of the same box. You know, at some point it's gonna be the same stuff. Mm. So I need I need to have a new concept. Anyways. So I my decision is to that's the passion that I love. And I also have to eat, right? Mm-hmm. I have another job other than music. I can't I can't you know, I have to pay rent, right? Mm-hmm. But parallel to that, I'm always gonna keep fighting as best as I know, as best as I see fit. You know, and I think everybody should do that. Um, I saw a lot. Of, I see a lot of people, like you said, that were never involved with politics. And I'm not saying it's necessarily bad. Maybe they needed to see what happened inside of Iran for, to bring the, those feelings out of them. Mm-hmm. But the night and day, I don't like it. I wish people would still kind of mm-hmm. parallel to what they do. 
play a part. Do you take solace in the fact that the goalposts have moved? Like, should we celebrate that? That that Iran, as we say, you know, it's become also um, almost a mantra. Will never be the same. I mean, it, you, know, you can't go back to before seven months ago in terms of yeah. the relationship with people inside Iran and the regime. In terms of the the strength and power of women out there who are leading this. You know, walking around without a hijab still right now. All of that. Do do you take solace in that? Does that give you strength? Definitely. Definitely. I mentioned earlier that when we were kids, people weren't this brave. So kind of the same thing. The women, they're just walking without hijab all over the country now. Yeah. So like you said, it's moved the goalpost. And I feel like the revolution somewhat, it's really important. It has to happen in people's minds first. You know, there's a saying. And I think that's happened. So people, a lot more people believe that it's going to work and it's going to happen. And they're waiting for the next move, you know, next, next spark. Erfan, in an interview with Iran International recently, you said the only thing this regime understands is violence. Mm. Uh, what does that mean in terms of countering the regime? Do you ultimately believe this has to be some kind of violent insurrection? Not necessarily. I think numbers. That's what I think, you know, and I'm definitely not, not an expert. You know, I love history. I've studied other revolutions. Well, what did you mean by that? that stuff, the, the, num- the regime understands violence. Regime. When you said the the only thing this regime understands is violence, what? Oh, I said and, and how they act mm. and their actions. You know, uh, and I said I, I think I was making a point about it's really important. I said they only understand violence and they move in silence. And I'm not trying to rhyme here; it just mm. happened. Um, Can't help so, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> when there's uh, when they, we don't when, when you don't give, let's talk about too much specifically. I think being vocal about too much and everybody, but if so many people uh, focused on too much and were his voice. I think that really helped. I think there was a big chance that they might have killed him, executed him. Mm. You know, so that's what I meant. And so they understand the language of violence, and that's how they act. You know, they just like pressure. And by force, that's how they've been leading this country for the past uh, 43, 44 years. And um, the more vocal you are about things, as far as political prisoners specifically, um, the better the chances they have for survival. Okay, so on that note, Mm. when you're talking to family members of people who are in Mm -hmm. prison, or I mean, how is it that we can best use our energy? The one thing that everybody says, and I have to give it some, I, I wanted to think about it. And I realize everybody just says the same thing. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep going. Keep being their voices. Be our voices. You know, if they're speaking about someone specifically, don't forget about so-and-so. Please be their voice. And if they're talking about generally, don't forget about us. Keep doing what you do. What have you been most inspired by in the last seven months? Is there a moment or a, or something that you can, where your mind goes when I say that? Mm-hmm. Too much, definitely. is one of the most inspiring. And also... The young girls and boys just standing up, you know. Um, and sometimes when I see stuff in schools, the videos, I get proud. But at the same time, I get worried because they are kids. I remember when I was 14, I didn't know shit from shit, you know. So, I mean, we have to be realistic about that. We don't. I, I never want a kid to just get inspired by other people and just go out there and not know right. what they're doing. Right. I had family members after the last revolution. These girls that just were out in the street, they were 15, 16, and they spent seven years in prison in Iran during the 80s. They were kids, they didn't know what they were doing. Right. So anyways, um, I think a combination 
It's everything is a combination for me. It's always a duality, right? What's the most difficult moment, if I were to say, over the last seven months and since this uprising began? I mean, there was a time when I remember the fall when anyone I talked to, we just everybody was just saying, "I just can't stop crying. I'm mm. crying constantly." You know, if I, if I say what was the most, what has been, I don't want to speak in the past tense. What has been the most difficult moment so far? What would you say? Um, in general, I did a lot of crying too, right? There was a time that videos were coming out every 10 seconds, just refreshing. And, um, so those times were really hard. The day that I heard, I it was, it was like two, three in the morning. I heard too much got arrested. My whole body froze. Just the thought of like, what are they going to do to him? Um, I guess I'm, I'm happy he's alive. Um, the executions, actually, in general, executions. Yeah, those are the hardest. Yeah, it's kind of madness, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, especially because I was kind of talking to a lot of the family members of the few people that got executed, getting voice notes from my father, who getting voice notes from a father who, you know, the day after the song got executed thanking me and I don't know what they're thanking me for you know like wow. almost like that yeah yeah that's what do you want to tell I mean I know you have your own platforms but in case there are people who listen to this program inside Iran we've got a big audience inside Iran when they can get it um, what do you want to tell those inside Iran who are listening to us right now The most important thing I want to say to them is because sometimes they feel the disconnect. Don't think that we're Iranians from outside of Iran. There is no such a thing. We're Iranians. And I think one of the points that the song Bayada has, for example, is that I live in America. I've lived in America for years, but I'm Iranian. I grew up in that country. I know what it's like to live there. Moving from Iran five years, 10 years doesn't change anything. We still live under that regime. We know what it's like. And we care. And we lost something. The Iranians who live outside of Iran, we feel like we lost something. We lost our country. We lost our origin story. It's valuable to us. It's very important to us. It means something to us. So we want good times for you. We want to be able to return to Iran. We want a better Iran. We really care. We're not... People have lives people who have jobs if you see them every weekend protesting it's because they care there's nothing in it other than that so that's my message to you i think we have to work together you guys keep the hope alive we'll try to do the same thing on this side and move forward and make change real change thanks for being here brother yeah thanks for having me it's a, a pleasure to finally have you in the studio more to come thank you thank you brother there you go. That is an interview from a few days ago in the Rook studio with Airfon Paidar. Thank you so much to Airfon for that. If you just listened to this uh, on one of our podcast platforms and you actually want to watch that interview, you can do so on YouTube or on our Instagram channel as well. Uh, this is full time for Rook for today. Back in the Rook studio in Toronto on Thursday. Thank you so much for listening our website rookmedia.com is where you can link to um, 
all of our previous programming, all the Uprising series, the Contemporary History of Iran, videos, funnies, all of it is there at rookmedia.com. Thank you to the amazing team who put this show together. Talented Anita, Super Padisa, Smart Pega, Savvy Roham, Ahai Merdad, and sound person Louise. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you have not done so already on any or on all of our platforms. And um, you can find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. In the meantime, Mizun Bashi.